Today we have a, a guest speaker. We have Dave, David Murphy and his wife, Sandra. Uh, uh, David is a graduate of Practical Bible Training School. Uh, he has his, uh, he got, went to Lancaster Bible College for his uh, bachelor's degree, and then he went to Liberty University for his master's. Uh, he, uh, he's a full-time administrator and part-time instructor at the Practical Bible uh, Training School. Uh, he was uh, he was a pastor at the uh, first intern pastor of Valley View Alliance Church in Vesta, New York, and then uh, he was uh, called for full time there. And from 1991 until 2015, that's uh, quite a, a time. And now he, Dave, serves as the assistant to the district superintendent mission mobilizer in the Northeastern District. Okay, David is currently in his 35 years of vocational ministry. 35 years. Praise the Lord for that. 30 of those years he's been with the Northeastern District. Dave and Sony, Sandra, uh, are the parents of three adult children. They're married, and they have their first grandchild, uh, Cyrus Obadiah. He was born in uh, October of 2020, so congratulations on that. So let's give them a hand for that, and Dave, come up here and... Uh, and bless us this morning. Thank you, Thank you, you so much. You're welcome. There's nothing more painful than listening to someone read a bio. <laughs> when Brian asked me to provide that, I thought he was going to do crib notes. And uh, so uh, we, we are just so grateful that we've had the opportunity to serve in ministry uh, entering our 35th year, uh, 30 of those with the uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance in upstate New York. And uh, the Lord has truly uh, uh, blessed us. A couple of things before I ask you to, to uh, join me as we uh, look at our uh, uh, teaching this morning. First of all, Emily, thank you for that song, He is Worthy, introduced to General Counsel in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, by the artist himself. And so we learned it there. And so when I heard it this morning, it just clicked into my head. And I said, that's wonderful that we're already using that. I think it's a wonderful song, and I trust it will be used uh, more often. Second, I want to talk to those of you who are joining us online. We're grateful you're with us, um, but I want to encourage you that uh, you make that added step. Uh, if you're local to the Rochester area, that you make that added step to come and join the family again. Come here to Trinity in person. There's a difference between watching online and being there with your church family or developing a new relationship with a church family. And so uh, we're to that point uh, in, uh, uh, in uh, our uh, season of dealing with uh, a, a tough year uh, that we're ready to get back together. And so we invite you, please come be part of the family where you'll be encouraged, you'll be built up, you'll develop relationships that you need to get you uh, through the week and uh, help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So that's my invitation to you, and hopefully uh, next Sunday we'll uh, see some of you out 
uh, uh, joining uh, once again in person again. You know, when I was a teenager, and this might surprise some of you, when I was a teenager, uh, just entering high school, uh, uh, I was involved with my cousins and from, from some friends who were at church with us in doing what every teenager wants to do. We started a band. And, you know, in, in our minds, we were quite good. Um, whether we were really good, I don't know. We only lasted a little over a year. Um, but other things come into play. You know, you get, you get bored quick as a teenager. But we started a band. And, uh, and I want to share a little with you this morning about music as I introduce our study this morning. And I want to tell you, first of all, not everybody should sing publicly a solo. Let me just begin that way. I love all of you, but there's some of you that should not attempt to do that. Now, maybe some of us in that band shouldn't have attempted it, but we did anyways. But I will tell you, singing a solo is probably the easiest part of singing publicly because you only have to worry about yourself. Uh, you don't have to worry about everybody else's timing. You don't have to worry about, you know, if you, if you don't hit a note quite cor correctly, you're not going to mess up a bunch of other people. Some people might go, oh, they missed the note. But singing a solo when it comes to public music is probably the easiest thing to do vocally. And then there's this thing called singing in unison. And so a lot of times in our churches, and we did it here this morning, now, I always listen when I go to a church because I, I try to listen. Is everybody going to sing in unison? Is someone going to try to venture out there and try to sing a little bit of, of harmony or sing a different line or whatever it might be? But we generally sing in unison. But let me tell you something. Singing in unison is just a bunch of people singing a solo together. You're all still singing a solo. It's all the same solo. It's all the same notes, and you're doing it at the same time. So there's, it's not really, and sometimes singing in unison is easier, isn't it? Because you can follow somebody else, and if you don't, there's a loud enough noise going on in the auditorium that you sound good. So solo and singing unison are generally fairly easy for most people. However, singing harmony is something different entirely. When you begin to sing in harmony, you're actually singing different parts at the same time. So one of you might be a soprano, one of you might be an alto, or I don't know all the musical terms, I'm just going to use the general ones. Soprano, alto, if you're, if you're a fellow, you might be singing tenor or bass line. And, and I used to try to sing more often when I was a younger person. I like to sing the bass line, and so I would, I would ask our worship team, I want I want the full score of music because I needed to see the bass line because I can't do that very well by ear. I need to see the, the note line to help me with that. But I'd like to try to sing harmony sometimes, and sometimes I did it well, and other times, well, not so well. Because it's hard. Why? Because you've got to pay attention to three other or how many other people, if you're in a choir, that are singing a different melody line or a different note line than what you're singing. 
So you have to be aware of how they sound. If they're on, uh, in tune, you need to be in tune with them. You need to know the timing for all of you. You can't, you can't miss the timing because you're going to mess up a bunch of other. So harmony gets really tough. Anybody with me in this? Do you understand my illustration? Solo, unison, you can, you, you can do those. And by the way, you did unison great this morning. But when it comes to harmony, it's a lot tougher. When we come to the passage of Scripture I'm looking at this morning, you see where Paul begins to apply this sense of harmony to the church. And I think that these things make application. Uh, Just like music, harmony in relationships within the church can sometimes prove a little bit more challenging. Perhaps a little bit more difficult. It takes hard work. It takes sacrifice for each individual uh, to live in peace and live in harmony, to live in unity with the others who are part of the church. And too often, as individuals within the local church, we gravitate towards living solo because it's easier. You know, I know what I want, I know my own song, I know my own preferences, I know my own choices, and so it's easier to gravitate to living solo than doing the work to say, how do I begin to understand this living in harmony? How do I begin to understand this living in unity together as people who attend church? But I tell you, Paul says when you attain harmony, as individuals in the local church, The results are amazing, and the benefits to that local family are endless. They're endless. And so in Romans chapter 14 and 15, where I'm going to be looking at this morning, uh, the letter to the church at Rome, chapter 14 and 15, Paul goes into detail about the efforts that Christian brothers and sisters really should take in order to achieve or to begin to live in harmony with one another. And, and clearly his goal is stated in chapter uh, 15 and verse 5 where he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, there's that term, in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, that's kind of the solo and unison part, but that with one voice you will what? Here's the point. Here's what Paul is saying about this harmony thing. That with one voice you will glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so Christian unity uh, ultimately isn't something that we can manufacture. It is a gift of God. It it has brought about our relationship living uh, uh, with the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be able to do this living in unity together. So when the Spirit of God is at work in His people, when we yield ourselves to the filling of the Holy Spirit, we generally are able to maintain that harmony, that unity that we have in Christ because of that step that we took to receive Christ into our life as Lord and Savior. 
So what is the situation and what are the instructions that Paul is providing in these uh, chapters? Well, uh, Romans 14 and 15, Paul is wrestling with very specifically the interplay between uh, what we call Christian liberty and love, a topic that he also addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10. But here in Romans... Paul brings up two specific topics that were causing division in the church. Eating meat and observing the Sabbath day or Saturday in the Jewish calendar as a holy day and a day of reverence. So Paul makes abundantly clear here and elsewhere that the Christian is free. The Christian is free in Christ to eat whatever food they desire. Uh, before Sonny and I began our trip up from Binghamton this morning, we swung through uh, uh, Duncan, and I got my, my uh, macchiato to help me make that two-and-a-half-hour drive. <laughs> but I bought snack bacon. Now, let me tell you, in the Roman church, you know, bacon <laughs> might have been frowned upon. Uh, but I was free to get the bacon, wasn't free to buy, but I was free to get the bacon, and I bought bacon this morning, and boy, did I enjoy my Christian freedom. Yet for various reasons, eating meat or not keeping the Sabbath began to prick the conscience of some of the brothers and sisters who were in the Roman church, and so we can think of any number of things uh, in our context, in a 21st century Christian church in upstate New York that might fall into some of this category today that would prick uh, the Christian con uh, conscience or the issue of Christian liberty uh, versus uh, maybe choices and, and so on and so forth. I, I don't know. Uh, we have just come through a very interesting year, haven't we? And I know that those of you who are gathered here, thank you, by the way, for coming out. I, I pastored for almost 25 years at one church in Vestal, and I know that when I would go on vacation, I'd come back and I'd look at the numbers, and it seemed to be, oh, the pastor's going to be away. This is a good Sunday to do. So thank you for coming to listen to me. I appreciate that. You're really making me feel good today. However, we've come through a tough year, a year where there have been debates about Wearing masks and not wearing masks and social distancing and not social distancing or perhaps vaccinations, maybe politics or race or whatever it might be. We have these issues that arise in the church today, don't we? These things about where conscience, where some might say, no, this is what we see by way of conscience we should be doing and others who say, no, our freedom says we're able to do this as well. And so we still hit some of these issues today within the contemporary context of the church, but it might not be so much food today. It might not be so much Sabbath keeping today. But Paul says there is a way to work through certain issues that arise in the church or certain issues that challenge the people who attend church so that we can achieve what? Harmony and live in unity together 
as the church. So, Father, as we, as we dive into the Scripture this morning and look at these four principles very quickly, I pray that we will have a sense of understanding, a sense of encouragement from your Word on how Paul is instructing us to really begin working through things as they arise within the church so that we can achieve or maintain harmony and unity, unity as the body of Christ, even though matters of conscience Matters of preference uh, may differ. We can still live in harmony uh, together. So give us insight, Holy Spirit. As I always ask, preach a better message today to the people who have gathered here than I could ever speak directly to their hearts and to their minds and do that work that you have promised to do for the sake of Jesus. Amen. So the first thing Paul says, number one, he says that Christians must welcome the weaker brother or sister. Look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. It says here, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or her, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. And so Paul begins to introduce this, this understanding that the first principle we say is that we welcome everyone. We welcome everyone to our fellowship, even the one who is weak in faith. Now, let me give you a little background on the book of Romans very quickly. It is a letter that's written to a predominantly Jewish church. It was to the group of Jews who uh, lived in Rome, who had come together and were beginning to see their lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were coming together to worship together. There were some Gentiles, I'm sure, that had entered in, but predominantly, it's Jewish people. Hence, this is why the discussion on eating meat and the Sabbath was so huge, because you had some of those Jewish people that understood the freedom of the gospel, maybe to a deeper level in their life, than those who were still really ingrained in the law of Moses, the way they have always worshipped. And so you didn't eat meat because it might have been, been sacrificed to idols in, and now it's being sold in the marketplace. And so you didn't want to eat meat, sacrificed to idols. So what you do? You became a veg- vegetarian. You ate just vegetables. It's better not to eat meat than take the chance of perhaps eating something that was sacrificed to an idol. And so there was a division beginning to take place where some were saying, oh, no, you can't do that. Where others were saying, yeah, we're free in Christ. There's nothing attached to the meat. (laughs) You know, just because it was sacrificed to an idol doesn't mean that there's something spiritual there going on. So we're free to eat meat that we purchase. Or the Sabbath day issue, which comes up as well. But it brings up the term weak. Now in Corinthians, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, He uses the same term, to those who are weak. But they mean two different things. He's addressing two type of people. In the Roman church, he's saying there are some who are weak that have become so religious and follow so many religious guidelines and attitudes, really matters of conscience and matters of preference that have become almost law to them. They have become very, can I use the term legalistic? And so he's saying to the church at Rome, those of you who are very legalistic and are saying, no, it has to be done this way by everyone, they're weak. They haven't come to the point of understanding the gospel to the fullest, that they understand the freedom they have in Christ. But to the church at Corinth, these were people coming in that had no concept 
of really worshiping uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the God of the Bible. And so they're bringing in a lot of license. And we're doing things that were, because you know, in Corinthians, they're saying, stop living in sexual immorality. Stop doing all these things that are part of, so it was two different types of weaker people. But in this letter, for you to understand, he's writing about those who are more legalistic because they are part of the Jewish church. And so Paul is clear. He says, disagreements over matter of conscience are not reasons to separate from fellowship or to exclude someone for fellowship. All right, here's what we're going to do. I, I prefer this, and it's a matter of conscience right now that we do it this way. So if you, church, don't do it that way, I'm going somewhere else. Now, we're just so happy we never see that happen in churches in upstate New York. No one ever does that, do that. Yeah, I'm being a little facetious. We still see that happen. When that happens, we've lost harmony. We've lost unity. Do you understand what Paul's trying to talk about here? The reasons are clear. To divide over issues, uh, matters of conscience, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to distance ourselves over preferences is not glorifying to God. And it's not in accord with the example of Jesus Christ. If the church were to divide over minor issues of conference or conscience, we're no different than the social clubs that gather in our communities. We're no different than the Rotary Club. Now, the Rotary Club says if you want to be a Rotary, you have to do these things, don't they? They list. You can't go in and say, well, you know, I'd rather be an elk or I'd rather be a part of this other club, <laughs> but I want to be called the Rotary. No, no, no. The Rotary, we're very clear on who we are. But with the church, there are some things that we say are essentials that we will not yield on. However, we welcome those people in who are different than we are, who maybe have a different matter of conscience or a different preference than we have uh, in our understanding. And so the church is bound by something far greater, not a list of rules and regulations, we're united by Jesus Christ. You can say amen if you want to. We're united by Jesus Christ. I do love interaction, by the way, and I say this every single time. I know people get tired of hearing it. I really like you to interact. That way I know you're listening. Plus, these lights are so bright that some of you, I can't see your facial expressions. And if you don't interact with me, I'll just keep going until I get some interaction. So if you really want me to move along, you interact, okay? Usually people then start yelling amen right after that. So uh, there you go. But I just want to tell you, we're united to our Savior. And if we're united to our Savior, we're united to one another in Christ. And so first, we must be committed to always welcoming one another and not allowing seeds of division to begin to take root over, over matters of what we believe to be uh, perhaps a conscience or more, more uh, importantly, preference. I prefer things to be this way. But Paul says a second thing here. Paul instructs us not to pass judgment 
on one another. Chapter 14 still, verse 13, it says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother or of a sister. And so Paul now says that Scripture clearly says that we are not to pass judgment. Now understand what's being said here, because Jesus talked about this matter of judgment as well. A lot of times we quote it in, uh, inappropriately, or, or, or we don't really fully understand. And so if you go up to somebody and you say something they, they, they don't like, sometimes you hear them quote Jesus, do not judge lest you be judged. And if you do that with me, I usually go, okay, it's sermon time. I need to help you understand that scripture. Because you're using that wrong. What's being said here is not that we don't call out sin. We're told we need to call out sin. When something actually violates the word of God or goes against the character of God, we're told to call that out. As a matter of fact, that's an act of love. Jesus said that in Matthew 18, didn't he? You see someone living outside the boundaries of their relationship with Jesus or falling into sin, go to them and confront them and say, hey, do you see this? And if they reject you, take a brother or sister with you and say, we need to help convince you that you have stepped out of. And then if they still reject it, take the church and the church says, hey. And if they still say, no, we're going to choose to live this sinful life, then it says, put them outside the church like an unbeliever. So there is this sense that we confront judge, I mean sin, okay? What Paul is saying is the same thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. The judgment is when you become the standard that everyone else has to follow. That's the judgment he's talking about. Paul says the same thing. So if Dave Murphy or someone else at Trinity Alliance Church gets up there and says, okay, everyone must live like I live. And if you don't have the same matter, if you don't hold the same matters of conscience and the same preferences than I do, then you're really not a follower of Jesus and you can't be part of this church. That's the judgment that both Jesus and Paul are saying, don't do that. Actually, Jesus says if you do that, he's going to use that as his standard of judgment to judge you. Oh, no. (laughs) Because Jesus understands that very often in that situation, many of us who set up that standard based on ourselves can be called out for living a hypocritical life because even we, even we cannot hold to the standard that we set. So he says, do not pass judgment on one another. When it comes to issues of conscience, do not pass judgment. So what harm does it bring to me if someone doesn't want to eat meat or someone does want to eat meat? What harm does it bring to me if someone says, you know what, you, you, you can't go to a restaurant on Sunday or no, we've got to beat the Baptists. Let's get out early so we can get to the better restaurant or whatever. He's saying, don't make that a matter of judging each other. What? What? You're, you're going to go ahead and go to a restaurant that has a bar in it? Oh, how could you do that? Well, you know, it's, it's an issue where we've got to be careful we're not setting the standard as to what our matter of conscience is or what our 
preference is. Well, there's a third thing that Paul says as well. He says this, Paul instructs us to pursue peace and edification or the building up of people. And those of you who are online, this is one of the things I mentioned earlier before I began. It's important that you be part of a a physical gathering of the church because it's where growing up takes place. It's where healthy growing up takes place. It's where encouragement takes place. It's where we help each other to persevere in following Jesus. And and I'll tell you, online's good, and you can watch better preachers than me online. By the way, if you're watching online and you've heard this message before, maybe you're getting something new out of it. But, But I'm just telling you, you need to be with other Christians. There needs to be that physical gathering because of the way we build one another up. So Paul says here, Pursue peace in the building up or edification of one another. Look at verse 19, chapter 14. It says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And so as people come into the church, as you come into the church, knowing one another, as new people come into the church, the goal should be that we think, how can we lift each other up? How can we help each other realize more deeply their relationship in Jesus, and how can we help them walk deeper into Jesus so they experience more of the, I'm going to use the term, the sanctified life, that life that leads us into a more holy living with Jesus. How do we help each other do that? You know, too often, no matter where we are, too often, by the way, I don't do social media I gave up social media, uh, well, it's probably been a couple of years ago now, um, but I began to notice that social media was not, a, was not something that was feeding my soul as much as it was depleting my soul. Now, that, this is a matter of conscience for Dave Murphy. This is a matter of preference. I'm not writing a law for you. I'm just explaining something to you, okay? It's a good illustration, by the way. But I got off after the Pew Foundation did a research project that said 93% of all postings across the social media board were negative in tone. And I thought to myself, you know, that's just the nature of the being. And it just speaks to our hearts as human beings that very often it's the case that we focus on the negatives about each other rather than seeking how to build upon each other's lives, especially as it comes to our relationship and our building each other up in Jesus Christ. Very dear friend of mine who retired and we used to spend hours together talking theology, and I, I miss him dearly. He's out in Minnesota now. I retire and go to Minnesota. I haven't figured that one out yet. But uh, he's in Minnesota. Uh, he has family there, I'm sure. But he used to say this every time he would begin to share. I'm not complaining. I'm just reporting. And I would always laugh because a lot of times we begin statements with, well, let me tell you, and they have a negative connotation to it so Paul says focus on areas in each other's lives as the church where we are helping one another grow and be built up in Jesus Christ amen
instead of focusing always on the negative. Wow, wow. Church seems a little sparse today. Come in and say, praise the Lord. Look at all the people who are here. Let's go and encourage one another. See, so it's just a subtle difference in, our, in the way we see things. I had to learn that in my ministry uh, as pastors struggle with this. You sometimes think about the people who aren't there. And then God got a hold of me one day and said, would you stop doing that and start being with the people who are there? And it changed my focus entirely. Because you begin to consider upbuilding rather than, you know, all the negative stuff. Pursue peace and edification. So I've said three things so far. I'm going to say one more before I close. But if you don't remember anything else, because sometimes it's hard to remember all of this, remember this. One statement I'm going to make, try to think of this uh, and maybe hang on to this. Instead of focusing on how the actions or the preferences of others affect me, Begin asking yourself how your actions and preferences build others up. So if you don't remember anything else, you, you could have said, why didn't you just say that at the beginning? We could have had a five-minute sermon. We certainly would have beat the Baptist to dinner. Um, but I think it's important that you remember that. Instead of coming in with the attitude of, how are you going to do for me which, honestly, some people do that. And that's where the negative comes from. Because if something is not meeting up with what they want by way of preference or matter of conscience, it becomes a negative thing. Instead of doing that, saying, how can my life contribute to the building up of others here today? Amen? amen. I'm not fishing for amens, but I want to get done, so I have to have you interact with me. And here's the last thing that Paul says of these four different things. He says, bear with the failings of the weak. Bear with the failings of the weak. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Hmm. That's something, isn't it? We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, let me help you understand this a little bit because I know some people go, oh, see, what Paul is saying, <laughs> what Paul is saying is that you got to change for me. No, that's not what Paul is saying. And I've had people say that. Well, I'm the weaker person, and so you've got to give in to me and live like I want you to because I'm the weak. That's not what Paul's saying. This is, this is for the person who is, is strong in their faith. We need to evaluate each relationship and each situation to know how to interact with that individual that we're, we're meeting with. Years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, lead a fellow named Chris to the Lord. And Chris was a truck driver. And so imagine Chris, he was probably not quite my height, but he was a really strong guy, and he had tattoos starting at the bottom of his chin, and he told me on every part of his body, I said, he didn't need to verify that with me, I would trust him in that. But he was just, and he was rough, and he was rugged, and when he first came to Jesus, he would come to church, 
And you know something? It wasn't a conversion where one day he's Chris, rough truck driver with a certain type of, of dialect, <laughs> certain language, you know, a certain lifestyle that changed immediately and he was the most holy person on the planet. There was some sanctification that was beginning to take place, some growing up in Jesus. So his mouth at times would be rough. And you know what? The ta tattoos didn't disappear when he came to know Jesus. He still had all those tattoos, and many of them were not biblical in nature. And so I remember when he came into the church that it was a church at the time that I was beginning to pastor that was very upper class, upper middle class, <laughs> very particular. I mean, I remember, you know, one week a person coming up and saying, we expect our pastors to wear dark suits, white shirt, dark tie. You know, that kind of church. Uh, of course, I was a contrary person, so the next Sunday I made sure I wore my lighter suit with a printed shirt, and that probably wasn't good either. I hadn't learned this passage very well. I'm doing better now. I'm doing better now. I was young. I was young. But he came in and immediately people began to say to him, well, you're welcome to be here, but we want you to wear high-collared shirts, buttoned, long sleeves, because you can't show your tattoos. They would come to me afterwards, did you hear what he said? Yes, I did. How have you been encouraging him today? He just came to Jesus. Well, I'm not going to talk to him if he talks like that. And it broke my heart. And so after several months, we, I had a couple in my church transition him and his wife to another church where he was accepted. And they didn't do that. And that pained me. Uh, the church, by the way, over the years grew out of that. Praise the Lord. But it was a time in our history that everybody was saying, this is our, this is a matter of conscience for us. These are our preferences. That's the standard not the word of God. Well, Paul is saying, you need to bear with the failings of the weak as they begin to grow in Jesus. So my question to you is, are you willing at times to sacrifice your Christian liberty and your desires as you begin to look at individuals who maybe are weaker in their faith, whether they're legalistic, whether they're, they're still dealing with license and saying, I will adjust this relationship until they grow to a point. But the purpose of that me adjusting that is so I can help build them up in Jesus. Help them grow in their faith. This is not something where you say, all right, for the rest of my life, every time I see that person, i got to act a different way. No, it is until they in that relationship begin to grow. There's always purpose to upbuilding. There's always purpose to edification. And so Paul says, are you one of those people? You who are strong, you who understand the gospel, you have been transformed by the gospel, you understand the liberty you have in Jesus and the freedom in Christ. Hallelujah, I can choose to live a way to help bring that person along. And so I will make that choice and do it. If you are at the point where you say, I'm not going to change for them, even in the matter of liberty, I'm going to do whatever, I mean, I'm free in this matter, so it's their problem. Well, maybe you're not as free as you think you are. You might not be as grown as you think you are. For a season, you might need to say, I'm going to adjust some things to help the church grow, to help keep that harmony and that unity in the church as we grow together. So the abstinence of my own liberty is not necessarily permanent. 
It may be when I'm interacting with the weaker brother or sister as we work together to grow in Jesus. Well, why are these four principles important? Why did Paul share these things? Why did he say, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him? By the way, that verse 14.1 also says, but not to quarrel. I like that Paul added that. Yeah, we'll welcome them in so that we can argue about how they should live. No, he says, welcome them in. Not to quarrel with them, but to welcome them. Well, you know, don't pass judgment on them. Don't set yourself up as the standard. Uh, pursue peace and the building up of one another. Uh, bear with the failings of the weak. Why does Paul say this? Because, you know, an unbelieving world is always watching. They're always watching. And I don't know if you follow the news. Sometimes I do, sometimes I stop. Because, again, I can't take just the tone any longer. I want to, I want to believe in and something better. I want to believe that God is working, that God can transform lives, and sometimes even the news gets me down. Anybody else with me on that? But I'll tell you, an unbelieving world is always watching the church, and if you look at, at, at the media, you don't hear about an assassination maybe in Haiti as much as you do about a mega pastor who had a moral failing. And I'm saying to myself, where's the ban? Well, because the, the unbelieving world wants to look at the church. They want to look at those of us who say we are followers, and they want to find what's wrong with us. I think the main reason is so they can feel better about themselves. This is why I don't pursue these things. So Paul's saying, the unbelieving world is always watching, and it too often sees division, disunity over even minor issues. So he says, let's, let's live asking God to grant his church harmony. Harmony with one another as we love and serve one another. So let me j- jump back to what I shared at the beginning. Solo. Singing a solo is absolutely necessary. I'm not telling you who are watching online, those of you who have gathered in this, this uh, church building, I'm not telling you to stop singing a solo. You have to sing a solo. Christ has given you a new song in your heart. Some of you are going to sing a different song than others. We need you to sing your solo. That's the point. We have to hear you sing your solo. Are you singing? Are you singing or you're living your life in such a way that your uniqueness, your life experience, your relationships, everything is, is seen in that solo? You should be. You're different people. You're unique. So sing a solo, okay? I'm giving you permission. Shake your heads. All right. Sing in unison. The church needs to sing in unison. And what I mean by that, there are essential things that we will not yield on. We will not yield on that God is our Father, His Son is the Lord Jesus Christ, and salvation is found in Him only. We're not going to change that part of the song. Amen? We sing in unison on that. We're all singing the same solo there. We're singing the same solo with the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're singing the same solo with the nature of the church. We're singing our doctrine together, and it's in unison. We won't yield on these things. But we have to work at the harmony part. Because you have a great solo. But your solo is different than my solo. And so I can't come to you. I hope I'm not embarrassing you. But I can't come to you and say, sing my solo. Well, I really don't know your solo. And it's really hard to sing. I need to say, you sing your solo. I'll sing my solo. 
but we'll live in harmony together as we do that. We begin to sing that perfect harmony. We talk about Jesus. We glorify our Heavenly Father and His Son as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So think, solo, (laughs) unison, but most of all, harmony. Are we harmonizing together as the local church? Are we harmonizing as the greater church in Rochester beyond just the Christian Missionary Alliance? Are we harmonizing as the church around the world? Because that's what God has called for us to be. So, Father, I trust your Holy Spirit's going to help us understand these things a little bit better. Uh, I hope that uh, we haven't overwhelmed uh, uh, ourselves with information today. I hope those principles uh, uh, from your word were simple enough for us to be able to grasp. And, Father, we can begin to evaluate ourselves as individuals. I don't want them to go and say, okay, now I can come back and say to Pastor Brian, here's what's wrong with the church. I, I shared these so that we can begin to evaluate our own lives. And say, here's areas that are, are, are needed growth areas for me. Here are things that I need to consider. And as I do that, I will be able to contribute to this wonderful new song. As Revelation tells us, we have a new song that we sing. A song of salvation. A song of exaltation of the Lamb. As we do that, Father, the church makes beautiful music together that not only reaches the lost, but builds one another up for the sake of the glory of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Help us to understand more fully. I pray for the sake of Jesus. Amen.